Imagine you're preparing to open a brand new restaurant in a bustling city. The cuisine, exquisite. Ambiance, perfect. The service, impeccable. But as the doors open and potential customers walk by, they don't seem drawn to your establishment. The problem? Your menu is confusing. The descriptions are bland. And the name of the restaurant doesn't resonate with passersby. This is the power of messaging. Without clear and enticing messaging, even the most outstanding offerings can struggle to attract an audience. In B2B SaaS, much like restaurants, your software might be top-notch, offering exceptional value to your customers. However, if your messaging doesn't resonate with your target audience, they may never give your product a chance. That's where the art of crafting compelling messaging comes into play. In a saturated marketplace, it's essential to have a story that sets you apart, captures attention, and connects with your customers. Enter Peplaya, the founder of Winter, a platform dedicated to perfecting messaging through customer insights. With years of experience in the world of B2B SaaS, Pip has become a go-to advisor for startups and established companies alike. He understands the importance of storytelling, positioning, and messaging in a competitive market and knows how to guide businesses to achieve maximum impact. In today's episode, we'll dive deep into Pep's journey from his early beginnings as an entrepreneur to building Winter, his insights on creating powerful messaging for your B2B SaaS, and why telling a better story is crucial for startups looking to make their mark. Sit back, relax, and let us take the notes for you as we uncover the secrets behind effective messaging and learn from the master himself. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Pip La talks to Paddle CMO Andrew Davies about messaging. They talk about what good messaging really means, the B2B messaging framework, doing routine maintenance on your messaging, expanding audience while balancing supply and demand, and Pip La's unexpected beginnings as a serial entrepreneur. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for an in-depth field guide focused on understanding messaging. Then, while you're leaving your five-star review of the podcast, tell us what resonated most about the advice Pip had to share. First up, Pip talks about what good messaging really means. So with me this morning, we have Pep from Winter. He's the CEO. Pep, why don't you just say hi, introduce yourself, tell us where you're located right now. Hey, I'm Pep La from uh, Winter. I'm the founder CEO, and I'm in Austin, Texas. Wonderful, wonderful. And given the time zone differences, it must be super early there. So I assume you've had a few coffees already. At least one, yes. For those who don't know, can you give us a quick intro to uh, Winter and what the business is and does, and really how, how you kind of came to found this business? Winter, I call it a buyer intelligence platform. So really what it means is that I'm connecting B2B SaaS companies with people who buy software. And so B2B companies can get feedback on their messaging, positioning, uh, from their exact ICPs, people that are actually trying to sell to or survey them, ask them what they think about this or that. And I came upon this idea while solving my own problem at my previous company, CXL, where I had a hundred different products. Each product had its own separate like a product landing page. And I was wondering if my ideal customer is reading the, the sales pitch. Are they like, wow, this is amazing. Or is it like, who cares? 
or w- w- what's interesting, what's boring. And I was looking for a tool that would tell me, because I knew a long time ago that the best way to increase the conversion rate is to increase, improve the words on a page. But uh, I wasn't able to find a tool. All I could find was other people with the same exact problem. Very cool. So how long ago did the, the business winter actually you know get founded? And where are you on your journey? We are finishing our second year in business. You know, there was one, like one year of just building it behind the scenes. Then we launched. So it's two years now as, as Winter, Winter Inc. Full disclosure here, Paddle, we're a customer of yours. We love your product. Uh, we're, we're big users of it. And I think what you're doing here is launching into a space which is, you know, very clearly underserved because marketers like myself, have often had to take, you know, a couple of other different approaches, either go and, you know, work through very expensive panels that are perhaps built up to serve, you know, more B2C type go-to-markets, or go and do it themselves. Are those the kind of two other options in the marketplace, or how else do you think about competition when it comes to message testing? Yeah, we're in this lucky position where we literally are the only one doing what we're doing today. And this is, of course, also no no accident. I was searching for a differentiated business opportunity for, for years, and so here I am. Consumer research in BUC is extremely evolved. You know, like it, it got started in the 1960s and has evolved and matured since. B2B, like a customer research, is like two decades behind. Where like in Procter & Gamble, they do insane amounts of, of consumer research. B2B companies do very little in, in, in comparison to, to, to consumer companies. Previously, yeah, just like you said, for B2B companies to research what their target audience wants, let's say, to you sell to, I don't know, VP marketings or, or product managers, and to, to know what they think about stuff and what they think about you in particular. It was very manual, tedious process, and we've just made it much, much simpler. What are the aims that you're trying to deliver for your clients? Is it conversion? Is it you know engagement? You know, how do you measure success for your clients? Really starts where well, it depends on what are the goals of the customer, what are they trying to figure out. So main use cases are one, they're trying to improve their messaging. And of course, the idea with if you, if your messaging is better, you will see three things. Your conversion rate from like visit to uh, lead or visit to trial start will increase. Absolutely, because they get it, they want it, it's working. Other things are you know, more like on a brand level. People are re- um, able to refer you better if they understand what you do. If, if they Maybe it's not for them, but they, they clearly understand and, and even like it as, a, as somebody on the sidelines. So you get more uh, word of mouth, you get a better perception in the market. People think think more highly of, of you. And then there's the customer research aspect. You know, any company, every company, I hope, is wondering what does their target customer think and want. And the better you understand your target customer, the better you're able to do product development, marketing, sales, all those things. You would think that also your sales close rates will go up and, and so on. So before we get into perhaps you know what messaging is and uh, you know the different frameworks you have behind the scenes in terms of how you think about this, let's just start off with some definitions here because I do think the word messaging you know it could be a bit like the word content it can mean everything or nothing. So what does messaging mean to you when you talk about message testing? Yeah, so messaging is every company should basically figure out what is it that we want our target customer to know about us, and not all of those things are equal. So there's a hierarchy. It's like the most important thing that they know about us 
is this. And then there's the second most important thing and the third most important thing. So it's like your messaging strategy is identifying which messages do we want to push out to the market? What's most important? And usually you want to have a list of, let's say, three, maybe up to five key messages that you want to push, but three is a good number. But messaging is not copywriting. Yes, you communicate your messaging through words, but messaging is like a step before copy. It's more about what do we want to say? And then copy is then using the, the exact word, which exact words are we going to use to communicate the idea? And sometimes what might happen is that the way you communicate an idea is done poorly. It's unclear. It's confusing. It's what you want to communicate is, is not resonating. So you want to tweak the wording how you communicate it while the messaging strategy stays put. Now, of course, messaging might also be wrong. Like you want to say, hey, we're, we're the fastest uh, pizza delivery in town. Let's say that's your whatever, what you care about. But nobody cares about it, for instance. So then you need to change your messaging first. Like uh, we're trying to communicate the wrong idea. Th this is what you of often see in B2B SaaS where Everybody wants to create a category and then you invent a fancy category name and say, hey, you want uh, the market uh, optimization platform, right? And people are like, market optimization? No, I don't want that. And they'll be like, okay, actually, we should like maybe use, you know, simple language or change the way we talk about it. Uh, but messaging stems from positioning and positioning is who are we for? Like what kind of ICPs we're after? And, and what problems are we solving for them? What use cases? Like, uh, and the ICP, of course, also stems from who, who is somebody who cares a lot about this value that we're trying to uh, offer, our value proposition. And I also think that the positioning then stems from your bigger strategic narrative of, of the why. Uh, like, well, what's going on in the world that makes us valuable and needed today and why the old ways were, are not as effective anymore? Next, Pip talks about the B2B messaging framework. So if we just break that down, you've talked about the strategic narrative, you've talked about positioning, you've talked about messaging, and then you've talked about copywriting. So if I got those in the right order of how you would go and approach this at any given business, from strategic narrative to how you're positioned to what your messaging is, then through to your copywriting. That's exactly right. And a lot of people start from the wrong, wrong end. They start tweaking the words on the website to, to make it more compelling, which can give you short-term benefits. Like if, if your words more effective, you might get more conversion, but they should start from the top, which is the strategic narrative of course this is a c-level thing uh, yeah the ceo should drive the narrative and then we we get to positioning and messaging as you know i'm a big fan of you know spending time up front on messaging and on positioning certainly in in a former role when i where i jumped into you know 15 or so SaaS businesses to help them with their demand gen i found it was the messaging that was probably the least optimized piece of what they were doing there's lots of optimization across their infrastructure and the uh the tactics and channels they were using so let's just double click on messaging then so i know you you've got a, a b2b message layers kind of framework that you work through starts at clarity then relevance then value then differentiation and then leads to an outcome so could you break that down for me and walk through the questions you're asking as you double click on messaging or what it is so when i think about messaging there are two two main components to it like one is like what to say to begin with and as, as you say, the companies have dimension issues because messaging is off. Like, yeah, the channels don't matter if the message is wrong. You can spend, you know, so much money on LinkedIn and in other places. But like, if what you're saying is, is like, a, nobody cares about it, you have a problem. 
The message layers framework is a step assumes that you have found something that the market cares about. If you have found something that the market cares about now is like, how do we communicate it more effectively? Maybe we have three great ideas that we want to communicate to the target buyer. And then we have four steps, four layers to that message, how to improve it. And my observation after, after seeing many hundreds messages on winter is that it's kind of a foolproof way to make any messaging, any message more effective, more resonant. And it starts with clarity. In B2B SaaS, you know, we like to say a lot of jargon. And even if I'm writing copy, my first draft is often full of jargon. It's kind of like we want to use fancy words. And, and then it's like, oh, actually, I would never use this sentence to, with, in a conversation with my friend. So you shouldn't also send, send that to the market because we're all human beings. So clarity, the main, main idea here is if they don't get it, they're not going to care. So then if you jump too fast to features and how we do add value and like, you know, like the mechanics of it. But I'm still unsure what the tool is. It's like market optimization platform. And we have this feature and like, I don't care about the feature. I still don't get it. What is it? So in clarity, you want to always start with a category. Like, what is it? All right. We're a payments infrastructures tool or, you know, how do you communicate? What is Paddle? Do you have a short way of saying it? You know, single yeah, line? Payments infrastructure for SaaS is what we normally talk about or billing, subscription and tax for software companies. Either of those two, depending on how specific we want to be. So that is that is the perfect place to start. Let's say if it's your website, like because a lot of customers that come are unfamiliar with you. Also, like if you think about the future customers, a lot of them don't know that what you are. So you want to start with, with the category and then you, you go into like the value proposition and like this is the the key value that we offer or this is the pain we solve for you so people know you know basically what box to put you in people want to put you in a box because it's like we like stereotyping and you should let them if you fail to define yourself accurately people won't care so you need to define yourself so clarity is most important once people understand what is it oh it's this too oh it's marketing automation or is you know it's whatever it is then they're ready for the next step uh, and their next step is the, is this for me so it's relevancy. Ideally, you very quickly want to communicate one of one of two things. Like, who is the ICP? So we are for e-commerce companies or small e-commerce companies using Shopify in a very specific, the more specific, the better. And so really it also de depends on if you have clearly defined your ICP and the, the clearer it is, the better able you are to communicate it. Or it might be that if you have this problem, it doesn't need to be, you might be a horizontal product. So there is no one single buyer. But there's a problem that you solve for it. Do you have, I don't know, payroll compliance issues? Uh, not in this wording, but, you know, like people understand, ah, yes, hiring people from all over the world is a pain due to the compliance and tax issues. So I understand the pain. And now I understand that, ah, you are for me. You help me, uh, me with this problem. So relevancy. Once people understand that what it is and is this for me? And hopefully the answer is yes. Then we are ready for the rest of it. And now starts what I call value or motivation. So in, people come with certain intrinsic motivation, right? They have a certain level of interest and they might or might not be ready to sign up already before they land on your website. Now with the motivation layer or the, or the value layer, you want to increase user motivation to take action. I spent the last decade in, in experimentation, conversion optimization, things like that. And what I learned was that increasing user motivation is many times more powerful than decreasing friction. A lot of uh, optimization people spend their time minimizing friction. Oh, let's re reduce form fields and you know things like that. 
make it easier. And yes, it does help to an extent, but it's far more important to make people want to take action. The best way to get somebody to take action is to make them want to do it. And so how do you do that? You do it through words. And so this, this is you communicating your value proposition. You're painting the future with you. You know, like the, the you, you tease the promised land. So they should go like, ah, oh, that sounds amazing. I want that. And if they're not like, oh, I want that, then you've lost. You know, your conversion rate's going to be very low. And a lot of SaaS companies only rely on people's intrinsic motivation. They do very little to increase the motivation, which is a big problem. And so, yeah, so you do what you can to make them want to take action. And the final piece is once they get it, they, they understand it's for them and they want the value that is being uh, promised is differentiation, especially if you're in a mature category. Let's say it's I don't know, email marketing. You know, there's 500 tools according to G2. If you say send beautiful email newsletters, you're like, well, I mean, every tool does that. I mean, I already have MailChimp. So why would I need you? Because switching is a pain, right? Switching tools. If you're doing greenfield marketing, like you're not replacing anyone, you know, great, fantastic. But most of us are replacing something. They're already doing something. And so it needs to be very clear why choose you over the status quo, over the category leader for sure. Like if the category leader is, say, MailChimp, like how are you better? Or whatever the status quo is. So, so, so again, in, in most B2B SaaS companies, don't even mention their competition. They like to pretend that they're the only one doing what they're doing, even uh, if they're in a mature, very competitive category. We've gone through a few steps there. So clarity, what is it? Relevance, is it for me? Value, you know, do I want it? How bad do I want it? And then, yeah, that differentiation, why this versus other things. If you were then going to use this framework, so let's let's just imagine you've just sold winter for a couple of billion and you're now you're moving in to maybe do some consulting post uh, post sitting on the beach you're going to take over a company's messaging today what sort of tests are you going to put in place where do you start if you're walking into a, an established organization to bring this framework to bear there's four steps you can check how your current messaging is doing for each of these four layers using a Likert scale. So on a scale of one to five. So for instance, and th this can be for the whole pitch or just a, a section of, of your site or a, a small landing page. So let's say we take the above fold area of, of the website, for instance. I would ask the target customer, after reading this, how would you rate the clarity of this? Like, how well do you think you understand this? And they say, oh, I understand it four out of five. You know, it's like pretty good. I think I get it, but it's, it's not a five. And then you want also the open-ended feedback. Well, what about it is unclear? Or what about it? So you always want to mix and match quant and qual. So Likert scale and open-ended. And I would do the same thing for, for instance, differentiation. Like how differentiated do you think this offer is or how unique? This, this offer is, this, this company, this product. And then open-ended would be, why choose this company over others? And see if they get the reason. And of course, if they don't get it, if they don't know the reason why choose you, is because you haven't given them one, right? And so we need to give them one. And same for relevancy. Do you understand who this is for? Please explain who this is for. And then you see if, if it's correct, if they, if they got it. And again, if they don't know, you haven't spelled it out for them. And same for value, especially if it's like, for value, I like to ask, how interested are you in getting a demo with them? Or how interested are you in signing up with them on a five-point scale? And then ask them for an explanation. And if you get that data back, it's going to be extremely rich. You understand exactly in which of these four dimensions are you falling short and how much, and then what specifically needs to be improved. 
oh, we're not explaining who we for or the clarity needs needs to be tightened. And now, Pip talks about doing routine maintenance on your messaging. How do you think about making sure this becomes part of normal process, policy, procedure, culture within a business? Is it so, you know, Do you have ways of establishing that as norm within a business? Working on it. When like 20 years ago, people didn't even use web analytics. And now it's like, oh, of course. I mean, who would have used web analytics? It's, it's crazy, right? When we, we don't know what's happening on the website. What I'm working on is also... You should have the same reaction like about the words on your website. Words, the messaging is most of your conversion rate comes from that because you communicate using words. So you need to measure the effectiveness of your words. And it's the same situation as it was with, let's say, before Google Analytics. How well are my words working? No idea. That's insane, right? So we should do something about it. It's an education process. So really, the process at every company should be before we ship any piece of messaging, we publish a new landing page, we, we launch a new virtual event or, or we're about to before you put it out there you test if they get it if they understand it that's for them if if, if they want the, the value if they're interested in signing up and like is it is it differentiated that should be the workflow like before you hit the publish on your cms or your landing page builder you test it first and is that really possible in a world where we're putting landing pages up all the time and testing lots of different you know is there a scale at which you don't need to do that or, or do you or do you are you a purist over this that every new interaction that you're putting in front of a customer should be tested the research is also a cost for sure there's a cost of money and time and so there should there, there needs to be an equation of is this a high stakes situation or not so if you publish a new faq page or about us page those are not critical pages for for customer journey so customer journey of course your home page and maybe you have like detailed uh, use case pages or features page those are the money pages and also if you drive a lot of expensive ppc traffic to a landing page that's a money page so on all those pages where it really matters that you get those conversions, those signups, whatever you're trying to get the purchases, those pages you absolutely need to test because if your conversion rate is 2%, but it could be let's like 70% higher. I mean, that's just, just an intentional waste. You know, like you're stupid when you don't have to be. So you do that math. Is Am I spending money driving traffic to this page? Is this critical page in buyer's journey before signing up? And for those pages, you absolutely need to run some message tests. So I'm interested in the interplay between message testing and experimentation. In my previous role, I was running brand demand and digital for Optimizely. Experimentation kind of bleeds through the DNA of that company. Everything we were doing, we were showing multiple experiments, doing multivariate testing, getting user feedback on different versions through qual and quant. And that's probably the most mature experimentation culture I've been part of. So talk to me about how experimentation plays off with this type of message testing, which could be a bit set and forget. You know, how often do you do this? How many things are you testing? Message testing and A-B testing work beautifully together. A-B testing, you know, tells you if B is better than A and by how much, right? It's, it's a measurement methodology. It does not tell you why or what's more likely to work better. You, you don't know that upfront. That's, that's why you also test, right? Because we want to know what works better. So message testing is what you do before A-B testing. It's, it's almost as part of your hypothesis creation. You know, you know probably you want to test your, improve the conversion rate on your homepage or you know, whatever it is. You do message testing first. You understand the problems. Then you ship the improvements which are all a hypothesis. I think this will make it more clearer. I think this will you know, improve the motivation, but does it? If you have the traffic volume for it, then now you run the new and improved version against control. 
did we improve these things and does it does it make us more money for instance if you're in b2b SaaS, a lot of b2b SaaS companies don't get a lot of transaction volume like how many demos per week or per month are you are you getting so broadly i mean it, this is statistics you know a sample size calculation issue but if you get broadly speaking if you get under 500 signups or demos per month you can't really run even a single a b test because well you could run it but the, the outcome is going to be most likely inconclusive so you still don't know even though you put all this effort in there waited for four weeks it's just slowing it down and so with message testing which is a form of qualitative research you don't need large sample sizes and so you just go with that your threshold is if n is less than 500 then message testing should be your primary approach and if n is over 500 then you can use the two in kind of parallel that's part of pre-testing and feeds into your a b test hypothesis mm -hmm. let's talk about some examples here you know maybe can you talk to me about the best example of of, of a b2b you know business that have gone through this process and you think have got the crispest message that you point to or perhaps um or and perhaps a turnaround you've seen where people have used an approach like this and changed what their message is and seen results as a result. There are case studies I know uh, well, and then there are case studies that uh, I'm not sure I, I can disclose what was going on. But like, if you want to see a page with crisp messaging where it's clear what they do and, you know, who's it for, and, and they're doing quite a bit to uh, drive people's motivation, check out Bloomtech. It's like a kind of a learn how to be a coder thing. That is a really well done page. We When we tested that, it scored almost perfect scores by its target audience. What's the what's the domain name? Do you know? Should be bloomtech.com, I'm thinking. Bloom as in the flower, bloomtech. Bloomtech.com, fantastic. I'm having a look at it right now. Launch a tech career on your schedule. Does that sound right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And we pay you to finish our, uh, the school. And then it's like, what they do is that you can study this, that, and so on. And then it's the value proposition is like, we get you a job and it's a high paying job. Yeah. And you don't pay until you get a job that pays a certain amount of money. Yeah, it's a pretty attractive value proposition there. How about, you know, a turnaround you've seen or a, you know, maybe it's from one of your case studies or you've seen it on the open market where people have really transformed business value as a result of tightening the kind of things we're talking about. Turnaround maybe is, is the wrong word, but companies who have done extensive message testing. So let's take AppQs, which is an onboarding product adoption uh, SaaS tool. It's a product-led. And so for them, the key metric is trial start. We did very, like a series of message tests on their homepage, uh, on their features pages. We surveyed their audiences, so multiple surveys, trying to understand if product managers and product marketers are about to sign up for an onboarding tool, like what's the most important thing that they care about and, and so on and so forth. So based on those customer insights and understanding what seems to resonate on their site or not, we basically help them rework their messaging. And the, the outcome was that they, they increased their visit to trial starts by like more than 70%. 70% is a significant number. Or we take Cognizm, uh, which is a kind of a Zoom info alternative, where they pimped, they, they're trying quite a bit of paid ads to their homepage, certain uh, landing pages, and uh, same thing, iterative message tests, and their conversion rates went up about 40%, which again, at their scale, 40% is, is a significant lift. 
love both of those companies and uh, and how they've matured their messaging over the last couple of years. That's really cool. If we go back to these layers and the four layers you talk, talked about here, so clarity, relevance, value, and differentiation. For people who are in a rush, and you know many of our listeners are, are there any of those that they should skip or that they should make sure they focus on? Is one more important than the other? Or do you believe this framework you've got to walk through from beginning to end and focus on all four of those? Clarity is number one. As I said before, if they don't get it, the rest doesn't really matter. So if, if, you can, if you only have the time for whatever reason to improve one thing, like improve clarity. So use simple language, uh, make sure people, it's, it's clear what it is and, and so on. But working on the other things, like also make, make sure who is, who is it for and make sure we, we communicate accurately like the, the value that we de- deliver, uh, you know, you'll have more lift. Next, Pip talks about expanding audience while balancing supply and demand. I know you are creating lots of content as you kind of go into the second year of your business and ramp up um, your audience. You've got the Do You Resonate LinkedIn Live. You've got your podcast. You've still got the the CXL Live conference, which I assume was run out of your previous business, if that's right. How are you finding your own resonance with this audience you're building? It feels like this is very much of a moment where there's a bunch of marketers reaching a stage of maturity where this is rising up their list of things to do. So are you finding you know, are you finding that across any specific sectors, any specific types of business? And talk to me about building that community. Winter is a startup and, and a bootstrapped startup. I cannot outspend, you know, other people in, in the market. When it comes to like startup problems, I have classic startup problems, which are not enough people know that we exist. So it's awareness is a key marketing challenge. Over the last 10 years, I've always been a content creator. I was a blogger, you know, 10 years ago already and, and so on and so forth. And so I've built up social media, like following on Twitter on LinkedIn. Today for winter, when, when I look at my sales pipeline and what's the source for that, I want to say like 80% is my organic LinkedIn content that I drive. So we, we, have, we use self-reported attribution. When you schedule a demo or sign up for Winter App and asking like, well, how'd you hear about us? And I want to say around 80% is is referencing LinkedIn or organic content for me specifically. So I am posting every single day. It could be, oh, well, how are you as a founder like wasting time on social media? Well, I mean, this is marketing. I'm building pipeline. The number one responsibility of a CEO is to make sure the company does not run out of money. I am still, I'm, you know, I have uh, two marketers in the winter team, but uh, I'm still the CMO as well. Common in in early stage startups, it it just makes sense, and I see it also makes money. Before we um, kind of come to a, a few final questions to close, tell me behind the scenes of what's actually happening here. So I'm assuming that this is a bit of a two-sided marketplace where you've got a bunch of people who are feeding back on the mess- on the tests that are being run. How do you find those people? How do you check that they're giving good opinions, that they've got good experience to give them from? You know, and, and talk to me about that, the, the challenges as well as the opportunities of that two-sided marketplace. We're like Uber, riders and drivers, except... We have SaaS vendors and people who buy software. So so it is a two-sided marketplace. How do we get the the audience side, the the people side is through marketing. Just like Uber advertises to recruit more drivers, we advertise to recruit more people with jobs who buy software. And how we do that is, let's say we start with a specific role in an industry. Let's say we want to recruit more directors of HR, human resources in B2B SaaS. And so then what we do is like we identify which media targeted media they're consuming, like which 
newsletters they're part of, what Slack groups they're in, things like that. And then we advertise in those very specific communities. That's the key driver of audience growth because the value proposition is pretty good. It's like, hey, do you want to occasionally share your what you think about stuff and we pay you money? And uh, these days, it seems like everybody's got to have a side hustle. It's low commitment. It's, it's an easy sell, what I'm saying. It doesn't replace their day job, but it's, you know, it pays for their for their wine and cheese. A key challenge here is, I mean, certain roles are harder to get than, uh, than others because uh, we have to balance the needs of both sides of the marketplace. So we have a lot of, for instance, a lot of interest, cybersecurity role, chief information security officers, things like that. So there's a lot companies ready to pay us money if we only get this audience. And so that audience, for instance, has been more difficult to get. We need to pay them uh, more money, things like that. And then there are industries that are not even very online, if you can imagine such a thing. So construction tech is a massive category, like billions and billions. They, they really want to give us money and they want to target construction industry people. That's been very difficult to recruit so far. So we actually haven't been able to build out large enough audiences in that sector because there are not enough like online communities and newsletters and things like that for four men at construction sites. And it's also a world that I'm, I don't know too much about. I need to do more research or get somebody, an insider from that industry to help me recruit that audience. So whereas B2B SaaS marketers, I mean, all day long, <laughs> they're everywhere, right? So that that's kind of the, the key challenge there. Is it? Would I be right in saying that because you're bootstrapped, then often this is demand before supply, and so you're going and finding companies who have the you know budget capacity and interest in using your services, and then making sure you have the supply of audience to be able to deliver them value. Exactly right. So I start with like, who's ready to give us money if we only had their ICP? And uh, and I started with B two B SaaS because it's an industry I, I I know well. I understand the people. I have access to them. So we started from there. Every day I'm turning down money from people who want to target people who work in agriculture or mining, oil and gas, public utilities, things like that. Those are like in my, on my list. Eventually I'll get there if I'm convinced that there's enough uh, so uh, enough demand. Because another thing I need to balance is, let's say, take $100,000 and I invest building out this manufacturing audience. I need to give them enough studies to be part of enough companies need to demand their or request their feedback. Because if that feedback is not frequent enough, there's the panel side, they will churn. And so I need to take into account this churn dynamics. It costs money to recruit audiences, but if, if, if I don't give them enough to do, they'll churn and then uh, I've wasted my money. So I need to be very careful at balancing my sales and marketing and audience recruitment at, at the same time. It's, it's, it's not easy, but it's fun. You're touching on a super interesting topic, which many businesses face and SaaS businesses, if they're scaling fast, face it more frequently than the others, which is how do they deal with market expansion? What is that next segment? How do we identify it? How do we go and you know ensure it's big enough? And how do we build product or in your case, you know, the other side of the audience in order to go and serve it? So is there any mental models or any, any kind of rules of thumb that you use in terms of mapping out those next few segments to go and investigate? My, my approach is fairly simple and straightforward here is like I'm expanding the number of ICPs I sell to. So I started with a single ICP, which is like a B2B SaaS, VP marketing, CMO type of person. And now I'm like, well, well if I, can I sell to HR or like rather I sell to marketers, but they, so I'm not expanding in terms of who's my buyer, but rather who are they selling to? So one ICP at a time. 
and the, down the line, my my future vision is, you know, like to be able to offer any title in any industry, you know, um, you want security, warehouse security people in Bolivia, here, here you go, eventually. So it, it's pretty straightforward in my case here, like do, do I have more ICPs to offer? Because then I can service more industries, more, more companies. And now... Pip talks about his unexpected beginnings as a serial entrepreneur. Let's just go right back to the very uh, beginning of your journey before we finish up here. So I'm fascinated. You're a serial entrepreneur. You know, you had CXL. You've now got Winter. I don't know much about the story before that. What led you to starting a business and and, and being a, a CEO? Was it something in your background, upbringing, parents? Like, what led you to this point? It's hard to know. Like, my dad was an unemployed alcoholic, and my uh, my mom was a as a doctor, a virologist. Uh, you know, having a steady job, not entrepreneurial at all. So I, I don't know what about the upbringing. If, if you read about entrepreneurs, there's a common theme of hardship, experiencing hardship when growing up. And, you know, I was born in Estonia. I grew up in Estonia that at the time of my birth was occupied by uh, Russia. Then, there, you know, once we regained our independence, there was a switch from central planning economy to market economy. And, you know, uh, there was like a hyperinflation, thousand percent a year. And uh, so economically also, it was very difficult times. You know, we were poor, food scarcity, things like that. So experienced a lot of hardship. And also like my bum uh, dad, she was the breadwinner of the family and she didn't make a lot of money. And so I kind of saw that and uh, and kind of like instilled like I need to make money like I'm not gonna be like my my father was and I, this is a I don't know if 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 that's the reason or not once I was in my 20s I was all I was always very proactive like coming up with stuff and you know, taking initiative and then like when I was 27 I, I moved to I already had a remote job I was ahead of the times and I moved to Panama because I could live anywhere. I wanted to learn Spanish. So I moved to Panama, one-way ticket. And the, the company that was my uh, employed me, they ran out of money. And it was like th- they were financed by Anita Roddick, who died of cancer, the, the founder of Body Shop. And so then I found myself in Panama with no income. At first, I tried to get a job in the local market, but my, my Spanish wasn't good enough. And after hearing, I was... Pitching myself as an SEO PPC guy, do like real estate companies and tourism agencies and so on. And they told me, well, we do need what you offer, but not full time. And after hearing that, that rejection like six, seven times, I'm like, well, what if I offer this as a service? And so over a weekend, I built like a WordPress website saying that, oh, it's like Panama Internet Marketing, SEO services. And then I emailed the same companies I interviewed with and say, hey, I'm now offering this as a service and I landed my first customers. And so that's how I became an entrepreneur back in 2007. Because they say necessity is the mother of invention. I really appreciate the time today. Is there anything you want to leave with the audience? So we've got a lot of listeners here who will be bootstrap founders, just like yourself, who are grappling with market entry, grappling with trying to build uh, more people using mostly their product-led businesses. What would be the tips that you'd leave with them as they as we finish up this episode? Most startups compete in like mature, saturated spaces, and it's very hard to win. Like uh, you, you cannot beat category kings. You cannot. It's very hard to be more innovative than like with to win on innovation. You likely don't have the money for it. You likely can't outspend others with advertising. So really, the way you can win as a as a small startup 
is by telling a better story, doing stronger uh, messaging, uh, positioning, and so basically winning the things beyond the product. So I would I would recommend those uh, startup advisors to learn more about those things. And if anybody wants to hit me up, then you can find me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for that. I love that note to end on. Let's make sure everyone wins by telling a better story. Really appreciate your time today, Pep. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're grateful to Pip for doing this podcast. Now you've had a crash course on messaging. Today, we talked about what good messaging really means, the B2B messaging framework, doing routine maintenance on your messaging, expanding audience while balancing supply and demand, and Pip's unexpected beginnings as a serial entrepreneur. Make sure to give Protect the Hustle a five-star review and tell us what lesson Pip taught you from today's episode. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.